0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living podcast in episode number 54. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of the Rootless Living magazine. On this episode, I get to chat with Savannah and Alan Clark, and I believe they started a trend so many others have tried to do, get a company to sponsor your travels or even give you an RV. But before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Savannah and Alan to the show. How are you guys?
1: We are just doing great, doing fine in an RV
0: as usual. (laughs) That's awesome. That's what is a, you know, actually the last couple of guests I had on are on a boat full time and are just traveling basically worldwide, you know, going from like Airbnb or to hotel to hotel. So it's nice to kind of come back to an RV, but there is some real experience here and we'll get into that. But where do you guys find yourself right now?
2: We're in a parking lot at a mall in Scottsdale,
1: Arizona.
0: Nice. Nice. And uh, what kind of RV are you guys traveling in?
1: We've got a uh, Thor 23-foot Gemini Uh, TE. uh so It's really a compact little guy and does this fine. Has a little murky bed. We keep that downsizing every unit we get. A little tighter, a little tighter. But this works out good.
0: That's awesome. And what do you guys consider yourselves? Some timers? Part-timers? Full-timers?
2: That's a tough one. We, we've uh, been full-timers when we had brand ambassador jobs, this is actually the first time we've ever had an RV and we're traveling full time uh, without a job. So it's a whole new experience. But right now we're full timing for a couple months uh, during the pandemic. Just kind of get out and do something. And we are
1: we are part time, full time. <laughs> oh, there you go. Part time, full time. We, we concentrate two, three, four months at a time and then we're back home and it will go back out.
0: Nice. Well, when did RVing start for you guys? Because it sounds like there's some history here. So when was like the the first RV? When did you guys hit the road? Take me back.
2: Our daughter was 12. And uh, she was a spoke child for this Christian relief effort. Kind of like World Vision. Everybody knows about it, but it's smaller. And so in our little town of Bellingham, Washington, which is north of Seattle, she was speaking at some churches. They asked people to sponsor an orphan in Africa. Well, she got such a good response. One day, Alan and I said, you know, we should take this on the road. Why don't we get an RV and we'll just travel around the country and Sandra can talk to different churches on Sunday. And we'd never had an RV. we barely even camped. But um, we went to this uh, Chevy dealer. And of course, we have this 12-year-old who's funny and cute and articulate. So she asked him for a free truck. And he gave us a 2002 Chevy Silverado. And then we went to Jayco and said, would you sell us an RV at cost? And they sold us a fifth wheel at cost. And again, we have never driven one. Alan is a professional truck driver and school bus driver trainer. He could drive it. And we spent a year traveling around the country. And Sonder would speak at a different church, usually on Sunday and maybe on Wednesday. And then in between, we did homeschooling and tourism and just had a great time. And that started the whole thing.
0: So you're the ones that started the whole craze of people calling RV manufacturers and asking for a either for cost or free RV, which has kind of stopped now because so many people are doing it, but it was you guys, you guys started.
2: That. Right. Well, probably we did it back then. And also you have to think our daughter, not to brag, but she'd written a couple books at that time she was doing on TV shows, doing interviews. So for her to come through, they really saw that as sort of as a marketing tool as well. But it, It
1: worked well back then. It sold, We we sold the product. Right, right. off
0: we go. Yeah, I mean, influencers before there was actually influencers. Funny you mentioned Bellingham, Washington. Um, I was born in Seattle, but we lived in Bellingham when I was born. Oh,
1: where? What school did you go to? I didn't.
0: um, We moved to Los Angeles when I was... um, Well, I always make kind of the joke. I was born in Seattle. I learned to walk in New York. I learned to talk in Boston, and I learned to run in Los Angeles, and then I spent the majority of my life in Los Angeles.
1: Okay, all right. Yep, yep, that
0: was it. But Seattle is that's still that's tough one. learning to
1: talk in Boston. That that that's that's a that's a tough one, there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, But my parents were in theater, so we moved around quite a bit. But okay. then they they got stuck in Los Angeles, where kind of that's where you you're going to get into the television. That's where. You're going to be probably fun fact I've never mentioned on the show is my mom produced the uh, tonight show with, uh, from Johnny Carson all the way to Jay Leno. Oh,
2: wow. wow. Cool. Yeah. All right. But it's oh, not- I know all about pilots. Anyway, go ahead. Go. Yeah.
0: It's not about me. It's about you guys. So you guys <laughs> jump in an RV. Now, did you guys have a home at the time you were doing the, the truck and the fifth wheel or did you get
2: we rid did. of, we, okay. We did. We had a, we had a nice house. We just rented. We,
1: did, we did rent it out.
2: Yeah. We rented it out and. Then came back and said, okay, we're back, you're out. And we moved right back into the house. And it went well, as smooth as could be. Oh, and then we, we returned the truck and we sold the fifth wheel. And we we're kind of back where we started. And also the agency where Thunder was a uh, folks house, they paid for our gas and our camping fee and a few other little things. So we kind of broke even. It, we didn't make money, but it was a great experience.
0: No, it sounds like it, especially if you're already kind of homeschooling. It was one of the battles, not that I was thinking about this lifestyle, but pulling the kids out and trying to homeschool would be tough. Where obviously now, because of everything that we're dealing with uh, coronavirus, is that people are really looking at homeschool as an option, obviously, and they're remote working. So this is going to pick up big, I think, where people are going to be jumping in RVs and traveling. and, and Yeah, home,
1: yeah home, homeschooling, homeschooling in an RV is not too bad. It was Thanksgiving. We, we were at Plymouth and we learned about the pilgrims there and had a Thanksgiving there at Plymouth and archaeology. We're in the Southwest digging up old Indian artifacts. So it's the homeschool's not too, too bad when you're on the, on the move.
0: No, I bet. I bet it's really great for the kids. I mean, there is that, I want to be really kind when I say this, there's that stereotype of a homeschool kid, but the rural road school kids that I've met are like amazing kids. Like you can just tell that they're learning at a different level. And they're obviously every week, you know, learning to adapt to new people and speaking to new people. And it's been a lot of fun meeting the kids on, you know, in campgrounds and RV parks across the nation. Right. Okay. So you, you come back, you, you sell, you give back the truck, you sell the fifth wheel. When was that?
2: That was in 2003. We did that. And then we basically, you know, our daughter was back in middle school and then high school and that was all fine. And then basically the day she left for college, we knew a guy, um, it was a charity called Souls for Souls, where they collected shoes for, uh, and they collected shoes in the United States and then sent them overseas to people overseas. But I, I didn't know him very well, but I sent him an email and I said, Hey, Wayne, why don't you buy us an RV and we will travel around the country and we will promote Souls for Souls for you? And, uh, <laughs> All that. yeah. And so he called that, or you know, he said, Send me a one-page proposal. So within five minutes, I had a one-page proposal. I sent it to him, and I didn't hear from him. And then he called a week later, and he said, I bought you an RV. I need you here in two weeks. And I said, well, give us three weeks. We have to rent our house and stuff. And he said, okay, fine. So we flew back to Nashville to his headquarters, and he had this 34-foot hurricane motorhome, all wrapped with faces of kids and everything. And we had the most amazing 19 months I would, we could go anywhere we wanted, but we would come to a community and I would find out where there was a smaller charity. I mean, you know, of course, Red Cross and Goodwill, they're huge, but some smaller charities. And I would say, do you guys want some new shoes? And I would find out how many clients they had, maybe 150. The warehouse would ship the shoes to wherever we were. And then we would come that day and literally be down on our hands and knees and, putting on shoes on usually the homeless. We went to women's shelters. I mean, in San Diego, Damien, there is an organization called the Society for Torture Survivors. And these are people that have come to the United States legally, uh, but they don't have any benefits or anything. And so we would take care of them. So we spent 19 months going across the country, giving away thousands and thousands of shoes. But then in between wherever we were, we would just Go have a good time or if our daughter was in I don't know Cincinnati we'd make sure to do a shoe drive in Cincinnati or you know we had a friend somewhere else we would come see you do a shoe drive in your area and then take off again
0: wow it's really this is really and amazing
2: paid us quite well
0: that's awesome now this is really before I mean 2003 four five there isn't a lot of obviously social media there isn't a the, inter- no, the internet no, no. is yeah. The internet's kind of working, but it's not like where everybody's in right. it. So I think people would in- be interested in like how did you get around? Because was there a Tom Tom or were you guys really just straight out of atlases and Thomas guides?
1: In a garment, in a garment. You well, did okay. It was a bad, bad, bad garment. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we ended up with with a, a booklet in her her lap. You know, and the Thomas Brothers in her map in her lap, and then she would tell tell me when I passed and I have the exit. That's how it kind of worked. So, Oops, now I should have taken that right. Well, why didn't you tell me? So it, 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 it puts the extra strain on our our, our marriage. But uh, that's part of the travel. Another part of the travel is when you're parked at the side doing the interview, you get security coming knocking on your door. And I've got to go out and talk to him right now and explain what we're doing. Because <laughs> are that's funny. he's, he's,
2: he's right. He's writing us a ticket for being in the parking lot. Anyway, go ahead. Alan's gone.
0: Wait. Oh, so you guys are being serious or really is a security guard knocking on the door oh, right now? I thought you were telling a yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Alan, about yeah, Alan,
2: Alan's going out. No, no, Alan's going out talking to him. So it's fine. Don't worry. We, it, we've it, been in many situations.
0: It's part of the life, right? Where they think you're going to, it is. They think you're going to camp overnight and it's like, no, this is, how we pick up stuff exactly. and buy things. Oh, that's, it's actually really funny that yeah. it's actually happening right now. I honestly okay. thought Alan was just telling a story. Alan, you good? I need to no, call no, no, anyone no, for no. a,
1: I'm back. Okay. I- I'm back. I explained, I explained to him that we were doing a, a, a podcast with a, a rootless living and he said, Oh, Oh, okay. I said, Yeah. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Go ahead. And complete it.
0: Okay. Now I know you're lying. Cause if you mention my name, a <laughs> cop is going to arrest you in a heartbeat. So don't ever use me trying to get out of a ticket. Um, that's awesome. Well, then go ahead. Keep telling your kind of travel story about how things were different. back okay. then.
2: Well, then, you know, we really liked that. And, but after 19 months of the agency was going in a different direction, it was fine. So we were on the road. We rented our house for 19 months. Then we came back, stayed at our house a little bit. And I got a list of all the um, event marketing companies. So all these companies that send out, you know, the Mobile and uh, Ben & Jerry's, all those. And I just made up a postcard. And on the front, it said, we don't look like your typical brand ambassadors. I mean, back then, we were in our early 60s. So Alan and I, you know, we had a cute picture of us in front of an RV. And on the back, it just said, uh, looking for some experience. Experienced, professional, brand ambassadors, give us a call. We're ready to represent you. Well, within a week, um, I got a call from Avon Cares, which is a charity, uh, the charity portion of Avon. And they, there was the Hurricane Katrina. So they asked us, they ha- flew us back to Philadelphia. We got in an RV with a trailer and we went to 29 cities that had been impacted by the hurricane. And every day, we had to put together 1,400 bags of, we called them hygiene bags. So, you know, deodorant and sunscreen and all that kind of stuff. And then people would just come. And I mean, we had horrific stories of people who just needed to vent and wanted to tell us about how their house was destroyed. But then at least we could give them some basic supplies. So, we did that for 29 cities, came back to the United States, or came back to to Bellingham, and... uh, coincidentally, there was no connection. A marketing agency called me up and his first thing he said is, would you consider working for me in my marketing department? This postcard is so genius. I'd like to hire you in my marketing department. And I said, no, I don't want to be in an office, offer us a job. So this was actually a $10 million program that Avon was doing to reach the Hispanic market. And Alan, tell them what we had to do with our rough, rough job.
1: Well, they we, we offered us sprinter vans, Mercedes sprinter vans, and uh, we each had one, and they paid us the handsomely for a week, and we had sit there, drive and open the door, set up a table, and then the Avon representatives, the, the, the ladies that were recruiting, they would, they would in the, each town, they would come out, and they'd run the show, we would just tabulate a little bit of what they did, and then we went back to our hotel room, so it, it turned out quite uh, uh, right, cool. It, it was a wonderful experience. met a lot of nice people, regular Americans out there, and uh, I did that for about nine months, I guess.
0: Wow. You guys have really kind of done almost every kind of way of <laughs> traveling, and it, it looks like it falls into your lap, too, which is really nice. And so when did that nine uh, months I end?
1: Yeah, I can't, I can't say it falls into our lap. So Wana does a lot of marketing, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of research, so that was because the postcards had sent out. Oh, true, true. Is because she, you know, she, she kind of worked that part of it. And I, I certainly go along with it. She doesn't drive a leg. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I did drive the Avon Vans. You did drive
1: the Avon oh, band. This,
2: this was horrible. The first day we got these Avon Vans, they're bright red. And like, we would be in the same city. So it would be in Phoenix. Alan would be at one Hispanic market and I'd be maybe 12 miles down the road at another Hispanic market. So we each had our own little unit. But the first day we had to drive, we had to drive through Chicago. I'd never driven one of these long Sprinter vans. And it was the Chicago Food Festival with thousands of people. And we had to keep going and going. And then we were running out of gas. There's no gas station. And so my first night was totally horrible. But then nine months, never had an accident. And met, we know how to order a, how to go in the bakery of a Hispanic grocery store with a little tongs and you get a metal platter. And we know all our favorite hispanic bakery goods.
0: that's amazing that's awesome now when did the sprinter van tour end where are we at now in your time
2: that was uh, about eight years ago and the contract ran out they like yeah we did it for nine months and then it ended because they've been trying to reach the hispanic market and it was a set nine month program and then it ended so we went back to our house and our renters left And we stayed there for a while. And then, of course, you know, we thought, hey, we want to be on the road. But, you know, we don't want to buy our own RV. We don't want to pay for our gas. And plus, it's nice to have something to do, too. So uh, there's an organization called Royal Family Kids Camp. And they have 200 camps across the United States for foster kids. And this is, you know, something near and dear to our heart. So we simply... Called up the CEO and I said, "Hey, I got an idea. Why don't uh, we'll buy the RV? Because I know you're a nonprofit, but you pay all our expenses. You pay for our food and our gas and our campgrounds, and we will travel across the country. And when there's a camp going on, Alan does amazing magic. So he had magic programs, and we had to get to
1: do show, yeah. and all
2: sorts of weird things. Or if a camp was not going on, we would. It was really cool." We would be like Publishers Clearinghouse. The camp would say, oh, our director, Susie Smith, she's just amazing. So they, we would arrange that they would know Susie Smith was at home. We would drive up with our RV that had royal family all over it, kids' faces. We'd honk the horn. Susie would come out, and we would have balloons and a big sign and say, congratulations, you know, we're honoring you as being an amazing volunteer for royal family. And then they cry, and you know, that we have pizza, whole party. So we
1: did that for six months, and it was again, it was great. It was great, yeah. No, in that case, again, what we went to the dealer as far as the vehicle goes, and explained to them what we were doing, and so they gave us really cut rate, almost at cost, uh, for the RV. So uh, we did that, and then really after that, we sold the RV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we we buy them and, or we get them and we turn them back. So we sold that one, we're probably going to do the same. But that's what we have now. We're going to go about another five months until Europe opens up and then we're going to, we'll probably sell this unless we can get a job for a purpose.
0: It's all or nothing. That's amazing. Now, what I liked what you said in the beginning, what I kind of heard was this is the first time you're RVing without a job or a nonprofit or an organization that you're out kind of helping get the word out about. It's just you two, just enjoying the sights. How's that been in regards to it being different or is it just, you know, it's not a big difference because it seemed like you guys were still exploring in between working as well.
1: It is. It is different. I tell Savannah right now we have a superpower and that superpower is that we are totally adjustable with the time we try to get into a, a a regional camp uh, north of Phoenix here. And uh, she said, no, no, it's all plugged up this weekend. There's no chance you can do it. And she said, yeah, that's going to open up till Sunday, Monday. And I looked at her and I said, well, book it. And and so we're not, con- we're not constricted to, oh, we have to be in this town at this time right now. We can absolutely maneuver our time to match what we're interested in. So that's a plus and that's a bonus. But I don't think it makes up for, for what, we do, what we do when we're working. Is that we'd be put into a position, into a town that we'd never maybe ever plan on being. And we would find gems, you know, when we're not working, we'd find special little museums, special little sculptures, special little things that we would never have gone to on our own. But because we needed to be in that city and be there in the morning, we could take that evening and see some neat things. So uh, it's a yin and yang. uh, I think I prefer working as compared to. uh, just uh, out here on our own. But uh, but there's, there's good things on both ends.
2: Yeah, I think I prefer working as well, because but you also have to realize the jobs we had, other than the Avon, we pretty much set our own schedule. So I would say for sold for souls, we're going to do two shoe distributions a week. And he went, okay, that was, you know, our boss said, okay, that was it. And with we family, we did just what we wanted. But uh, we're not very good at just traveling to travel, but I find all sorts of weird things. We went to a date museum and had a date uh, milkshake, which was something. We found the largest hand-dug well in the United States. So, you know, we do all those, but it's still, I kind of miss thinking, oh, we could be at a royal family camp, or, oh, we could be giving away shoes at this charity over here. So, we, I mean,
1: kinda- we were basically, we are going to start crazy. We, we had we had planned to go to Morocco and do some travel there, and of course that closed up, and we really couldn't go to a lot of places we kind of were planning to. So it was like, you know what, we we're antsy. Let's let's, uh, let's get a unit and uh, and start traveling, at least go south where it's a little warmer.
0: <laughs> I hear you. So the plan is to continue just kind of uh, traveling until kind of borders open up, and it sounds like there's a little bit of an idea of going over to Europe. Would that be Trying to you know rent an RV or a van in Europe and travel.
2: Uh, we've actually done that. We rented an RV in Holland, which was really cool. The one thing we do again, I think you can get anywhere. We're pretty cheap, <laughs> but uh, we do house sitting over in Europe. So we've done house sits in Spain and France and Portugal and Luxembourg and Japan. So we go over and we'll do a house sit maybe for three four weeks, and then we travel around for a while, and then do another house sit. So that's kind of what we're we're looking forward to doing.
1: These house tests and the organization we kind of work through. They usually someone they want to travel, but they don't the pet doesn't go with them. And so they want their pet, their dog, typically to be in the same neighborhood, do the same walk, not have that anxiety of the kennel. And so we come in and we say, okay, we'll certainly do that for two weeks. We'll be in France near near the uh, accelerator, you know, large enclosure underground, and we'll be there for for two weeks, and we'll just explore during the day. We take the dogs and a walk in the morning and in the evening, and in between, we can go travel the area. So, it works out real good for us, and of course, it works out good for uh, the, the folks that leave, because we have a tendency to give them updates of their animal. We'll put them in an outfit, they them an email <laughs> picture, oh, here's what's what foot here's what are doing today. He went to the circus. They like that, and they feel good about it. We get to explore their neighborhood, and live, and go to the bakery, and greet the greet the baker in the morning, and he gets to know us, and so it, it's it's it's
0: a fun fun experience. Can I? I'll, I'm going to ask a question that, that I think the the world would ask, and it's said in a way that I think is offensive, but I think you'll get it. Have you guys ever had regular jobs?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> <Boy>, I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know we uh, yeah. I, I've been at a time when our children are younger, we have two girls uh, yeah, we stay put, and but we I mean, we still traveled, but not extensively, but both the kids both of them, they they had been to Europe before they were they were kids, but we yeah I, I, was, I was for for eight fifteen years, I was a bus driver trainer, and before that I was a truck driver down to San Diego before we got married and a little bit afterwards and no, we, we've we've uh, had jobs, but uh, we have been kind of we have been kind of for a while.
2: Well, so, oh, cool. it's always been free-spirited. I, was, I worked for 10 years for the city of Bellingham, Parks and Recreation Department. But they brought me in to create a new position. And basically, they said, whatever you want to do is fine. So for 10 years, I just kind of did what I wanted. And if my daughter wanted to do horseback riding lessons, I'd go, oh, OK. So we'd start a horseback riding program. And that way, I could drive her out. I could supervise her, or supervise the program, and come back. But, and then after that, uh, when our youngest daughter was born, I wanted to stay home with her, but I felt, you know, we needed a little income because our other daughter was going to college. Uh, I was a professional speaker for 20, 25 years, and I've written 12 books. So yeah, we've had regular jobs, but in between, boy, if there's a chance to go do something a little different, we're, we're right there.
0: No, and that's why I kind of preface it that way, because I think, you know, we're, uh, we're like a society of clones in a way. Everyone has to do this American dream, and I've been talking about it for a while. That I kind of feel like the American dream isn't what we think it is. It's kind of what we can make it. And you know, I mean, and I've and I've had people that you know I've spoken to that haven't been on the podcast yet or whatever reason, but that you know they worked circuses for years. They did this kind of really interesting, and I hate that they have to phrase it as this odd job because it's not really odd. It's just really cool that you get to do it while traveling. I think that's where. You know, I mean, if I was working remote from home and I had kids, that were homeschooled or no kids, I would be looking at being able to travel while working, especially now with internet, which wasn't really, you know, again, when you guys were talking about the, yeah, yeah, it wasn't like as good and easy to get as it is today for you guys. I mean, you could think about the work you guys probably could have done if the internet was around in the eighties and nineties, how you guys could probably could have even started this earlier. Oh,
2: exactly. Exactly. Too, you know, and when we're home, Alan coach soccer and basketball. We're active in the community theater. You know, we usher. Uh, you know, so we're very active in that. And now, actually, what we're doing now is when we're home, uh, we're doing emergency foster care, and that means when the authorities go to a house and they have to remove the kids, they bring them directly to us for seventy-two hours, and that uh, lets the social worker find an appropriate foster home. So we may at midnight get a call, say, can you take three kids? And we get three little girls arriving at midnight at our house without any clothes or extra clothes or toothbrush or anything. They come to our house. We get them all set up. You know, we play games. We just have a good time. And they're with us for 72 hours. And then the caseworker can at least relax knowing the kids are okay for that time, that transition time till they leave. So And that's on our terms. So we call the agency and I'll say, we're going to be gone all of March. They go, okay, they don't call us. But then April 1st, they'll call and say, can you take kids? So, you know, we're still involved in the community. It's not like we're just traveling to enjoy it. We, we always like to have a purpose.
0: Yeah. I think most full timers, at least I've met full time, let's say RVers after like year two or three, they start thinking back, especially if they sold their home or given up, if let's say that a rental, the idea of having a homestead, because there is something really nice about being able to go back, kind of regroup for a while. I don't know if everyone can, uh, you know, sell their RV and then get an RV at cost and then sell their RV. But, you know, there are people that are able to do that. And it's still There's a really.
1: W, everybody can. You buy our, our, our podcast here about you, you too can do it at a, at a, on a dime, on someone else's dime.
0: Exactly. No, I think there's a, there's a course there that needs to get made for sure. (laughs) No, I mean, it really is interesting to hear because I think when I first started full timing, I remember going into, you know, whether Facebook pages or groups and forums, and there are always this like attitude of you're doing it wrong. And I was always the guy that there is no wrong way to do it. It's really up to how people want to do it. And if you want to do it and you know, six month intervals, or if you want to take, you know, two years to just completely go and you want to keep your home and rent it out or sell it, or there's not a wrong way of doing it. You just have to do what's best for you and your family.
1: Right. Uh, just that the accumulation during the, during your life. Uh, as you add it all up, how was it? you know, what was the general were there a lot more positives and negatives. And that's kind of the rule. You know, that's kind of like, there's going to be negatives. I mean, you're going to be sitting out here and and find a ticket on your windshield when you go near a mall or something like that. And there's you know there's places to park where you can't find and and there's dishes that fall they crack and all this. But uh, you know I think that I, I think the uh, pros double triple outweigh the cons of uh, RV travel.
0: You know, well, let's get into that. That's how I kind of like to close out the show. Is I like to talk about uh, a high low. And through your experience, through all the years, what's been a real low just being out there kind of full-time? Can you guys think of one that you'd want to share?
1: It's kind of a funny low. Uh, uh, in Tennessee, we weren't paying attention to to the cold, so we ended up with a, a our black tank and the hose being frozen solid, so I had to take a hairdryer and deal with that, personally. Uh, although, you know, that's that's not injury, and that's that's not a problem. There's been times where have we been sick on the road? No, uh,
2: we've never been sick not, on the not road. Not really
1: sick, but uh, I, I think that'd be the most typical time. But there were, there was a place uh, in in Rainbow, no, uh, uh, escaping uh, organization, escapees, and they have a home for oh, a lot yes. of beers that are getting too old, or they're in a they've had an operation. And it's a convalescent area for RVers, full timers, where you can take time, a couple months, recoup, get better, and then off again go. And the nurse comes, the nurse,
2: it's a campground for full time RVers in Texas. In Texas. Uh, so the nurse comes to your door, uh, or you can go right next door. They, have, they serve three meals a day. It's sort of like assisted living. Uh, they'll build you a wheelchair ramp to your RV so you can stay in your RV to recuperate. And um, it, it, it was wonderful. I don't know, that was, that was a high. Yeah, it was kind of a
1: high and a low. But uh, probably probably one thing we did, uh, we were going to churches and doing presentations. One time we went to a long church <laughs> and we tried to make presentations.
2: And we walked in and the minister's up front talking. And we've been a few minutes late. And I'm in the back going, we're here, we're here. And I'm giving them the okay side. We're here. And I'm patting my daughter on the head because so they knew they expected the 12-year-olds. And there's four pastors up there preaching, trying to think, why are these people in the back so excited pointing to their daughter? And then I looked at the brochure of the church pamphlet and it was the wrong church and we just raced out of there. But, you know, we we really haven't had any low experiences. Um, You know, things like we went to uh, Salt Lake City. There's the Association for Abused Deaf People and we gave them all new shoes. And in a way it was, you know, it's kind of depressing to go to those places. Like, why should there have to be an association for abused deaf people? But then there's staff there that were kind and helpful to these people. They all got brand new, really nice, you know, name brand shoes.
1: So I, I think it's mostly upbeat. Um, oh, for I, sure. You guys I did sound- one time during the shoe, shoe distribution where the company set us up a whole bunch of It <laughs> looks like they're single shoes. They're all black and orange. And orange. Uh, right. and, and nobody wanted them. <laughs> They're a family bill, so we ran out. You know, last minute and bought a bunch of shoes, general shoes, and and made the thing work. But it was like sometimes you have to hot foot it. Oh, another time they
2: accidentally sent prison boots. Okay. So we're doing this drive for new feet for you know homeless people, and they all uh, we got a whole box of uh prison boots. But we again we made that work.
0: That's funny. What's the biggest uh, shoe size you guys were ever sent?
2: Oh, let me tell you, this oh, is old. Uh, we were doing a, a shoe drive, and this man came up, you know, and I, I I would say hello, and I'm I'm literally kneeling down, and I said, What size shoe do you wear? And he says, I don't really know, because these are the only shoes I have, and I've got them used. So we flipped over under the lid, and you could barely, you know, under the other tab, barely see 13. I said, Okay, I'll get your 13. So I got him a 13. And he said, Oh, do you have anything bigger? And I said, Sure, let me get your 14. So I got him a 14. And he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry to ask, do you have another bigger pair? And I said, yeah. So I got him a 15. And then he said, he kind of hesitated. And I said, do you need a bigger size? And he said, it would be really nice. And we always kept the really big shoes in our RV inside because not many got, had them. And I came out with a pair of 16. And he goes, oh, it feels so good not to have to crunch my toes. That's so amazing. he was, you know, he'd worn size 13. And he
0: actually needed a 16. So, you know, that made us happy. No, for sure. I'm a size 15, sometimes 14, more, mostly 14, but every once in a while I have to okay. wear a size 15. So that's why I kind of wanted to ask. And uh, at my first wedding, I had uh, one groomsman that was a 17 and one that was a 19. So it. Uh, oh, oh, no. Yeah. It, it's, oh, it's one of the downsides. Everyone thinks it's great being tall, but there are some downsides to it, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, trying to find that. shoes, you know, for sure.
1: Well, Trying to fit in, trying to fit
0: to traveling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Now, talk real quick about the books. I think there is a a book that's in and around travel, right?
2: Um, not necessarily. I've got a couple of parenting books, uh, a couple of business books. So uh, nothing specific, you know. Like in my family, I have some family activity books, and I talk about the importance of traveling as a family. But there's not one book that would say, you know, be sure to go here or there. No, I haven't done one of those yet.
0: Okay. Well, before we uh, let you guys go, can you tell people where they can uh, find you if you have social channels or a website where people can look you up and see kind of your adventures?
2: Sure. Uh, basically, I think Facebook is the best, which is sylvanaclark.com. That's S-I-L-D-A-N-A-C-L-A-R-K.com. And then on Instagram, it's Trek. D-R-E-K. Uh, but that's basically the two places we post kind of what we're doing and where we're going. We did a hike this morning up here in Scottsdale. And like we have our bikes on the back, our e-bikes. So we ride those lots of times. That's
0: amazing. Well, I will link all that down below so you guys didn't have to try to write it down. You can click on the links in the show notes to find them. But I just want to thank you both for you know coming on the show, sharing your story. It's a really unique perspective. and. I really do. I thank you for your time.
1: Well, we want to thank you for having us. And and I've got to go back out to the security guy. I guess he Googled you, so I got to explain some (laughs) stuff.
0: I know. I I hate to admit this, but I know a really good bail bondsman. So uh, let me know if you need some help.
2: (laughs) All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. you.
0: Well, another great episode. It was a ton of fun interviewing Savannah and Alan, and I do blame them for everyone now trying to get an RV for free and getting companies to pay for your travel. I told you so, but what a great and unique story. And just really kind of just that inspiration just to get out there and do it no matter what. If you want to learn more about Savannah and Alan or connect with them, feel free to click the links in the show notes below. Also, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your friends and family know about it. Just simply tag us, share one of our photos on Instagram, share a Facebook post, um, even share the website. Let people know there's a free digital magazine in and around living full-time in an RV, being a digital nomad, or just finding a different way to live while traveling. And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest, or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com. Again, that's podcast at com, And let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.